0: This morning's uh, reading is in a, a large way a recap of last week's reading. Uh, it's just the fulfillment of what had already been decided uh, in our reading from last week. And, the, and since I am probably certain that you don't even remember uh, last week's sermon at all, uh, and that's, by the way, not a, uh, that's not a, a, a jab at you. We get into like meetings on Tuesday and, uh, and something comes up about the sermon from uh, last, you know, from Sunday and I can't remember. Uh, I'm on to the next thing. I, I've forgotten. I've moved on. I'm worried about what's in front of me and I forget what it was even about. Uh, so just a reminder of what happened last week. It was the, uh, a big controversy had entered into the church over a fundamental question of the most importance, and that is how is one to be saved and and what's required of them. For the first time, uh, the church was experiencing Gentile believers. Uh, Before, it had been all Jewish believers, and so they were already part of the Jewish faith. They were following the Jewish law. They had uh, done all the customs and the duties. But now Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ for the first time. And what do you do? How are they supposed to handle this? And and they weren't sure, and there was disagreement. Uh, And so uh, Paul was facing some of these folks from what what was called the the Pharisee party that even existed within uh, the church of Christ at the time, this early church, Uh, and they were coming behind Paul and Barnabas and they're proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles and telling them, no, 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 you're not saved just by grace through faith. Uh, There's more that's required of you. Uh, you actually have to become circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And then you can be one of us and you can be part of the church and then you can, you can be saved. And obviously Paul and Barnabas were enraged and this was a major, a major problem. And, and it, was a, uh, it was a problem that was put before these Gentiles, a hurdle that they saw from what God was doing should not be placed upon them. And so they went to Jerusalem they went to Jerusalem and a council was called of all the, the apostles and the elders, meaning you know, kind of the bishops and priests of the time were called together to, to talk about this issue and to make a decision. And if you'll recall, the, the decision, the way it went about coming to a conclusion and a decision was Paul and Barnabas and Peter told them about their experience. They told him about what had happened in the field, what was happening as these Gentile believers were receiving Christ. They were, they were coming to faith, uh, and, and it was a powerful thing. They, they recounted the stories. But then Peter testified that this was a work of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't just of man. It wasn't just of, uh, of experience. The Holy Spirit was affirming it. Peter recalled the time when he went to Cornelius' house, right? And the Holy Spirit descended uh, on that day of Gentile Pentecost, there in Cornelius' home, uh, and they were, and the Holy Spirit came before they had even been baptized. So the Holy Spirit's doing something. God's moving, not just through experience, but He's manifest and doing something in their midst. But then to solidify it all, James responded, and in his response, he affirmed what Peter had said, uh, but he also cited from the prophet Amos chapter nine. And he saw in God's word that this was always God's plan. He was always going to redeem his people, but he was also going to open salvation up to the Gentiles. And if you remember last week in looking at that Amos nine uh, quote or the quote that uh, uh, the James cited, God said, I will return to my people. I will rebuild them and I will restore them. He's saying, this is going to be my work. I'm going to do it. I'm going to accomplish this. And that's what the gospel's all about. It's God's work in our lives for our salvation. But we get that all mixed up. We get it all mixed up. But the decision was, and we're going to come back to that. Uh, the decision was uh, that, that James affirmed what Peter had said, that, that you know, Peter said, what we've learned through all this is that we're gonna be saved by grace, we as Jews, just as much as, uh, as they will. We're gonna be saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, not by our Jewish heritage, not by all the, the following all the customs and all the rules. It's gonna be by grace through faith in Jesus's work for us because it's what God has done for our salvation, not what we have done to try to earn it. And so James affirmed that, but he also uh, came up with a little bit of a compromise, a little bit of a compromise. And and we read it last week. He said, we should not trouble, this is what James declared in the final verdict, we should not trouble these Gentiles anymore, but we should write to them and ask them to abstain from uh, four things, uh, things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled and from blood. Now, that seems a little bit odd, right? <laughs> like, well, they were just told that there's freedom in Christ. It's God's work. Uh, so what, why is James now asking something more of them? Well, this is not a matter of duty. Uh, this is something that he's asking them to do in love for their fellow uh, Jewish brothers and sisters who are still struggling to, to understand all this. They've lived all their lives under this old covenant, and yet here there's this new covenant of a freedom in Christ, and they're still struggling to come along with that and to understand it fully. And so, uh, and so um, James is asking them to, hey, you don't have to. This isn't a duty. This, is, this isn't a matter of salvation. Your salvation has been won for you in Christ by grace through faith in him alone. But we're asking you to abstain from these things so that we can maintain fellowship uh, and peace with, with one another. John Stott, in his, uh, in his commentary on Acts, uh, said that this isn't what was presented to them an essential duty, but it's a, it's a concession to the conscience of others. That's not an easy thing to determine, is it? I know we all want to stand for the truth and we're not going to make any concessions and uh, we're going to fight each other over it more often than not. That's the history of the church. Um, you know, I mean, think about just things we, we've been through not long ago, through, through the time of COVID, right? I mean, I cannot tell you how many churches uh, don't exist today that existed before COVID because of the non-essential things that they fought about. You know, there's some that thought that we should. Everyone should have to wear masks. There were those who, who thought to be asked to wear a mask was to betray my uh, my faithfulness to freedom and God and all the things, that, all my rights. And I won't do it. Well, that's one of those. That's one of those examples here. Of is it an essential thing? Is it uh, is this something that, that's worth a concession to the conscience of others for the sake of unity? You know, there's the old uh, the old Latin and. I say this just because as preachers, you're supposed to say Latin things and Greek things. Um, I never took Latin, so uh, so I'll probably botch it. So don't don't judge me for it. But it's uh, in necessarius unitas in dubitas, libertas in omnibus caritas. I think I got it right. Uh, close enough. Uh, but it, you know what what it what it means is this: in, in necessary things, unity. In those things that are doubtful, freedom, and in all things, love and charity. And this, some people tra- trace this all the way back to Augustine of Hippo, the bishop uh, there. Uh, some people say this was more of a, during the Reformation, uh, this, this, this came out. But in any way, it, it makes sense, right? But there's still... Debate about well, what are the necessary things? <laughs> yeah, what what are the necessary things that that are important that we do uh, that we do need to 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 argue about that we do need to stand for because that's certainly the truth in our church. Uh, we've been talking about this, and I've shared with you. I went to Rwanda. We uh, made a decision that that we needed to break from the Archbishop of Canterbury because. Uh, because we believed there was something that was necessary, something that was essential, that was being uh, that was being denied, uh, and that one thing that was essential is is the nature of sin. It's calling something that is sin non sin, not you know the, calling it not sin. We don't have that. We don't have that right. Uh, we don't have that 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 option. And in fact, by affirming that. Uh, By saying in the realm of human sexuality, in this case, to say that the church should bless it, uh, we believe that not only is that wrong, uh, we're actually hindering other people's eternal salvation because we're not giving them the opportunity uh, to to repent and to turn to the Lord, because we're calling something that God has declared sin non sin. So it's a no longer no longer an issue, and so we're putting souls in jeopardy in that case. And so it is something that is absolutely essential. But the most important issue here, uh, in and the council in Jerusalem is that it, they decided that nothing more needs to be added. Or no other burden needs to be placed upon the shoulders of the Gentiles for salvation. That They are saved by grace through faith. That, that's, that's the gospel. That's the freedom. That's the joy uh, of the gospel. Uh, and in fact, that's what we hear in our reading this morning. That they went and they read the letter. The council wrote the letter and they went to uh, they went to the believers, the Gentiles. And they read this, this letter to them. And so we've told in verse 30, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregations together, they delivered the letter there. Uh, so the, the council in Jerusalem sent some representatives down uh, and they went to support Paul and Barnabas and the ministry they were doing because these, uh, these members of the, the Pharisees party had come down and uh, had been uh, confusing them. And so they brought representatives just to make sure that everyone knew this wasn't just Paul and Barnabas' idea. Uh, this was the council's decision. And so they brought the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. When they heard that we have freedom in Christ, that it's been hit, God's work in our lives, not our own for salvation, not our own works, God has returned to us in his son Jesus Christ. He has rebuilt us. He has restored us. And one day we'll know the fullness of glory, not because of our own work and our own duty, but because of Christ's finished work and love for us alone. And so they rejoiced. They rejoiced in it. Can, can you remember experiencing that in your own life? You know, you know whether maybe you, when you came to Christ for the first time, maybe you were old enough to remember it. But to remember the joy that you received that God loves you. He loves you. He sent his son for your salvation and you received him by faith. And there was freedom and love and joy in that. Maybe it was you maybe you were raised in the in the church. Maybe you were raised by parents God willing who who always raised you in the faith. But there was still probably that moment where you came to understand grace and God's God's love for you for the first time, can you remember? I hope you can, but what inevitably happens is somewhere along the line, that joy that we experience, that salvation by grace through faith alone, little by little gets chipped away, little by little. And at first, it it starts slowly then it, it ramps up and up to where duty overtakes freedom and joy that we have in Christ alone. It's subtle, but it grows and it grows. And the more duty overtakes grace in our lives, the debtor and debtor we become in our own hearts, towards God and towards the gospel and towards our passion for serving Christ in this world, you know, this, uh, there's a little bit of a debate about the timing of when the, the Jerusalem Council happened uh, and when Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Uh, I, the traditional view is that uh, Paul was writing to the church in Galatia after uh, the Jerusalem Council. That had been the, the opinion forever. There's some who would say, no, it looks, you know, there's reasons to believe that maybe uh, the events in Galatia were happening before the Jerusalem Council uh, but, you know, either way, you can make an argument for, but I tend to take the, the traditional view on that um, and hear what happened to the Galatians. They had heard the gospel. Paul had proclaimed it to them, that, that, this, uh, that you are saved by, uh, by grace through faith in Christ alone and nothing else is required of you. And they were filled with joy and they received it. And they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, but then Paul, in writing to them, says in, in chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. See, this is even after this Jerusalem the decision, there, was still, where there were still those that wouldn't relent, there were still those who, who said, no, salvation from, by grace isn't enough. You've got to do something to earn it. You've got to make yourself worthy of God. You've got to do the things that are required in the law of Moses, or you can't be part of the club. They had come, and they were telling them this, and this appealed to, our own, to the own sinful nature within us. And so they were now beginning to desert this gospel of grace they had received and beginning to now think they needed to do more. And Paul calls it not only wrong, he calls it a different gospel altogether, a different gospel. But then Paul says, not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. And this goes back to the prophetic word from Amos. God said, I will return. I will rebuild you. I will restore. But to return to some idea that it's duty that saves us, it's duty that secures our place with God and his love for us, is to deny the gospel of grace altogether. It's to deny the God who has come to save us. And to say no we can do it ourselves we can return to god we can rebuild ourselves we can restore all things just to the way that they were always meant to be we can do it but that's to deny the gospel of grace and then in galatians 3 paul continued oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you it was before your eyes that jesus christ was publicly portrayed as crucified let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh, meaning by your own works? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him is righteousness. But we all fall down inevitably into that trap that duty is what matters most. Do all the right things. Be the right people. Make the right decisions. And if you don't, well, you may need to doubt your own salvation here. Now, that doesn't mean that that, that works are not important. James tells us himself, right? Faith without works is dead. But there's a reason why Martin Luther wanted James taken out of the Bible. Uh, Not because it's not important, and it is, and I think it should be in the Bible, by the way, Uh, but he's because people read it and get confused, and they they take that completely the opposite way. But James wasn't saying then that uh, uh, that you could, uh, he wasn't saying the opposite either, right? And so what role does duty play with faith? Where does it come from? How are we to live into this Christian duty in a way that's still in the freedom and the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, the way it always works is that duty has to flow from grace. It has to. It has to flow from the love that God has for us, that it's a response that we have to God for this freedom that we've been given, for this, this love that he, has, that he has given us that is unearned. And that flows out of our lives and, and, and doing the things that are in love for God and love for our neighbor that fulfill the whole law. But it can't work the other way around. It never goes from duty to love of God. We can't work our way backwards or else it's a different gospel altogether. It's us who are the ones who are saving ourselves and not God who is saving us by his work alone in the fulfillment of Amos 9. So how do we, how do we protect ourselves? How do we live in that balance of, uh, uh, of faith, grace, saved, being saved by grace through faith and, and still finding a right context for duty in our lives that doesn't become just some sort of judgmental, pharisaic legalism? the answer to this is the gospel. I think that we have to first reconcile the fact that the only duty that truly counts in the end is the faithful work of obedience of our Savior Jesus Christ. To receive it, to know it in your heart that you're called to good works, of course you are. But you're called out of a, from a loving God who wants what is good and right for you and for the, his church and for the world. The only duty that counts is the faithful obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we have a chance to respond to this good news this morning by coming to the Lord, coming to his table. We're invited by God to come to him, not not by our own duty, not because it's the right thing to do. We come because he loves us and has welcomed us to himself to receive him by faith, to trust him alone for our salvation, that he has done the work that is necessary for us to be with him for all eternity. I pray that this is a joy to you today. I pray that it will be a joy always, and that it will bear the fruit of good works, In your life. Amen.